This is the fifth week of our homily series we're calling Next Steps, as in Next Steps to a Better You. As Christians, we are called to be students or followers of Jesus Christ. Church people call it discipleship, but it's just about following. Discipleship is about adding value to our lives, and it's about following Jesus Christ. Because it's an exercise in following, it's a journey. And just like every journey, this one is made up of steps. And that's what this series is all about, the simple steps of discipleship. Because as it turns out, successful discipleship all comes down to simple steps. They're simple. They're not easy. They're never really easy, but they are entirely simple. We've put some work into identifying the specific steps the Bible teaches us about discipleship. Each of these steps represents a lifestyle choice, choices that are essential to growing in a relationship with Jesus, a relationship in which he can change and transform us. Because that's what Jesus wants to do in our lives, change and transform our lives for the better. So in the course of this series, we're taking a look at each of these steps. STEPS is an acronym. S is about service in a ministry or on missions. Jesus called himself a servant, and that's what he wants his followers to be, people of service. T is about tithing and giving. E is engage, which is how we like to talk about small groups. P is the practice of prayer and the celebration of the sacraments. And in that last S, we talk about sharing our faith. You see, our faith actually grows as we share this message with others. So today, we're talking about what is probably the most difficult step for most people to take. And yet, because it is so challenging, it can have the most powerful effect on your faith. And one other thing about this step, it supports a character trait most of us want to possess. To look at this step, we're going to take a look at the passage from Mark's Gospel, where we read, As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This story appears in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We know from those other accounts that this man was young, rich, and a man of influence and authority. So here we have this very successful guy coming up to Jesus, respectfully and humbly. He even kneels before him. He asks the question that is one of the most important questions of all, as he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Despite everything going on for him, despite his success, he knows there is more to life. He's coming to Christ looking for more. He asks about eternal life. Just to be clear, you cannot earn your way to heaven. That is a gift won for you on the cross. This guy isn't talking about only the life of heaven, but much more broadly, the fullness of life God wants for us right now and all the time. So Jesus answered him. He says, You know the commandments. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. So Jesus tells him, Live according to the commandments, and you will be living the life God intends. Simple enough. The man replies to Jesus, Teacher, all of these things I have observed from my youth. So the man is saying, in other words, 
I've done everything that is required, and my heart is telling me there's still more to do. Besides the basics, which apply to all of us, there are challenges that each of us must face individually. Yours will be different than mine. Mine will be different than yours. So he's rightly sensing there is more for him to do. Jesus then, looking at him, loved him and said. So note here, before Jesus answers, he extends to him his love. Jesus is answering in love. What he says, he says because he loves the man. He looks at him with love, and then Jesus says, you are lacking one thing. Now, put yourself in the rich young man's position. You have the opportunity to get counsel and advice from someone you highly respect, someone whose counsel you deliberately sought. And after that person hears you out, they come to the conclusion they have identified the most essential step you can take in order to improve, in order to get to the next level. You'd probably pay very close attention, wouldn't you? So that's what's going on here. Jesus identifies the one thing that is keeping the man from the full and successful life that God wants him to have. And we know from other places in the gospel, Jesus cites this exact same problem as the number one problem for most people. Not necessarily for everyone, but for most people. It is God's number one competitor for the human heart. Here's what he tells this guy. Go, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. Well, I'm guessing that the guy didn't hear much beyond, go sell what you have. He didn't hear what followed that because, Mark tell us, at that statement, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. If you think about it, Jesus made the man an incredible offer. Jesus was offering him a place in his inner circle to become one of his closest disciples. At different times, thousands of people followed Jesus, but only 12 were on his immediate staff. 2,000 years later, we know the names of those people. People name their kids after them. We name churches after them. Names like Peter, Andrew, James, and John. The rich young man could have joined that group, but as it turns out, from his decision, we don't even know his name. That is sad. And don't miss the other value that this offer had, an even longer-term benefit. Treasure in heaven. God actually doesn't just call him to give his money away because it's civic-minded or an altruistic thing to do. Instead, he promises the man rewards. He's talking about an investment. But the man walks away from Jesus and returns to his possessions. Notice, however, he's not very happy about it. He doesn't go back thinking how glad he is that he chose the money and possessions over Jesus. Instead, we read, he went away sad. He leaves sad because he already knows. He already knows that his money and his possessions could not satisfy the deepest longings of his heart, and yet he couldn't release his grip. And who could blame him? Would any of us have acted differently? Think about it. Money is security, and we all want security for ourselves and our family. Money is comfort, and we all yearn for comfort. 
Money is power and influence and prestige, all quite desirable things. Money is pleasure, which human nature is designed to seek. And beyond everything that money is, there's all the stuff that money buys. Sports tickets and HDTVs, new kitchens and granite countertops, clothes and cars and Disney World, dining out and dressing up, all of which we like and love, and none of which satisfies the deepest desires of our heart. Don't get me wrong. Money and the stuff money buys is not a problem, unless and until it is a problem unless and until our money and our stuff starts getting in the way of a meaningful life. This is why, after the rich young man walks away, we are told, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. That is for sure an eyebrow-raising remark for us to hear. But for the apostles, it was an absolutely astonishing remark. Because you see, their faith, and not just their culture, but their faith, taught them that wealth was a sign of God's favor. Wealthy people were thought to be closer to God, in a sense, holier. So then the disciples asked Jesus, astonishingly, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for human beings, it is not possible. But for God, all things are possible for God. Wealth and possessions are nothing to apologize for. They are blessings from God. But you see, that is exactly it. God has got to be in the equation. Without God, it is impossible. It's impossible to see money and possessions in the right way without God. Without God, money becomes the scorecard, the standard, the goal, the aim, or the end. Without God... And what God says about our money, we look to money to provide meaning and value to our lives and ultimately to save our lives. Without God, it is impossible. Money is so powerful that it can actually take God's place in our minds and our hearts. The temptation actually becomes assigning to money the properties and powers of God himself. Do you doubt me? After all, we do call it the almighty dollar don't we? And we're never going to get disciple right, discipleship right, that is. We're never going to get life right until and unless we get the money part right. We've got to grow to see that our money and possessions are gifts from God. And then we've got to learn to love and trust the giver of those gifts more than the gifts themselves. And there's only one way to do that. Give. That is why tithing and giving is a critical step in discipleship. Intentionally giving to God, by intentionally giving to the church or giving to the poor as a worship offering to God, teaches us that our hope and our happiness and our meaning and our ultimate fulfillment rest in God. We say it this way, I want to make my giving planned, not just throwing spare cash in the collection basket, for we call that tipping God or giving to the poor out of guilt. But I want to make my giving planned, which is part of my budget. I want to make my giving a priority. My gift to God comes first, right off the top, before I do anything else with my money. I want to make my giving a percentage. The biblical 
tithe talks about percentage giving, and that biblical standard, the tithe, is 10%. At St. Mary, we break down 10% by giving 5% to our parish, 1% to our diocese through CSA, and 4% to other worthy charities. But the percentage part is more important than that 10 part. That is, I want to pick a percentage and start my giving to the church and to the poor by percentage, any percentage. Start somewhere and think of it that way. And lastly, I want to make my giving progressive. That is my ongoing commitment to continue to raise my percentage as I work my way toward the biblical tithe. Giving to God by giving in my place of worship as a beautiful offering of worship and giving to the poor is a sure and certain way to grow your faith right now, as well as make an investment in your future by building up treasure in heaven. Discipleship is simply following the Lord step by step on the path of greatness. It's following the Lord step by step in the direction of discipleship. A little bit more today than yesterday, a little bit more tomorrow than today. And in the process, discovering a more successful, a greater way to live, step by step.